I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. <laughs> I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. Yep. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah. It's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat, people look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they might pick me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cock. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. <laughs> have a whiskey while we... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers, Cheers. Long. Cheers. Welcome back to United States of Dramerica, and I am delighted to have on the other end of the Zoom a screenwriter, a novelist, a comic book writer, and as you're about to hear, the man with the perfect voice for radio and podcasts. Welcome to the show, uh, Benjamin Percy. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Excellent. So let's get straight into the whiskey part of this, uh, because... Uh, I don't know about you, but it's it's the evening. I'm tired. I need a whiskey. So I can't drink mine until you've told me what's in your glass. So what do you have in your Midwest whiskey glass? So I pulled out the fancy stuff for tonight. Uh, I've got a Lagavulin 16 here that my wife gave me for Christmas, and I'm about to polish it off with you. Oh, wow. I'm honored that you're killing a bottle of such a fine whiskey with me. Lagavulin 16 is one of my favorite whiskies um it has been featured in this podcast a couple of times so i'm delighted that you've you've chosen it and it's it i might be pandering a little no it's good it fits no, your I, voice. Love, I love the uh you know just scorched earth quality of it uh it tastes to me a little bit like so, so many of the other islas you know like a a wet sheepdog smoking a cigar yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Um, I think I can say this without being offensive, but you have the voice of a man who's been drinking Lagavulin 16 for a long time. <laughs> yeah, since I was a toddler. <laughs> so, um, as I always do, I was trying to pair my whiskey with my guest, and this is slightly tricky. Um, so, um, I, I looked at a couple of probably quite lazy options. So, just because your name is Ben, I thought, you know, do I pull out my Ben Riach? Do I pull out my Alexander Murray Benriach? And I'm like, that's that's a little bit lazy. So what else can I do? Um, now, we're going to talk quite a lot about this. Obviously, comics are a big part of your writing. Um, and I know you've done some Wolverine stuff. Um, so this gives me a good chance to pull out a whiskey. We only had once on this podcast before for a fellow screenwriter. Um, so I've got some Wolfburn Aurora. Um, so, um, uh, so last time I think I drank it was with Robert Hewitt Wolf, who was on here, um, the uh, showrunner from Elementary. Um, so it's a good writing whiskey. So, um, cheers to you, cheers. Ben. Thank you cheers. very much for for joining me. Excellent, Clink. nice whiskey glass as well. There, very good. Presuming you're drinking it properly, no ice. It's neat. Yeah, good man. No, that lights a. It's a fire in my belly immediately. So, uh, comics. I'm fascinated by comics. Um, yeah. I'm not a reader of comics necessarily, but I'm fascinated by the principle of comics, um, particularly in today's world where 
the superhero movies have come back in such an extraordinary way. Um, but obviously, whenever they bring out a new one and there's a new character, everybody starts talking about the source material. And so I know there's a whole world out there of comics. There is, you know, there's Marvel podcasts that um, our mutual friend, Paul Bay, who's been on, on this podcast, has been involved with. Tell me about your fascination with comics, I imagine, as a youngster, and what it is you do with them as a grown-up. So I grew up on comics. I don't know what it is, you know, the, the first novel that I read. It, it might have been The Hobbit. It might have been Mouse and the Motorcycle. It might have been The House with the Clock in Its Walls. But I remember vividly every single comic that I ever read as a kid. Uh, and that's because I read them over and over and over again until they fell apart in my hands and I had to scotch tape together their wrinkled, dog-eared, torn copies. And I lived in... I lived all over when I was a kid, but, you know, right away, I lived up to the age of seven uh, in a rural area just outside of Eugene, Oregon, called Crow. And it was such a small town that it did have a grocery store. It had a mercantile, and it had these wide board floors that were creaky and, you know, lacquered fish and mounted deer on the walls. And you could smell the butcher counter as soon as you walked in. And there was a spinner rack in there. And I miss spinner racks. You used to walk into a gas station or a grocery store, and there was a spinner rack full of funny books. And my mom would deposit me below the spinner rack. And if I was good, while she trundled her you know, shopping cart up and down the aisles, I got to take one home with me. It might have been Warlord or the X-Men or Spider-Man or Batman. Uh, but I never wanted you know, bubble gum and chocolate. I wanted my cape and spandex. Uh, and the very first comic that I ever bought, and I know this because I still have it, was an issue of Man Thing. If you're familiar with the swampy anti-hero, yeah. uh, you know the tagline of it is "Whoever knows fear burns at the touch of the Man Thing." And <laughs> and so you know, there's so many reasons that I fell in love with comics one was obviously escapism living out in the middle of nowhere you know it provided me with a rabbit hole uh to dive down but it was also something about the intertwined narratives i began to understand that you know if you bought an issue of batman that it carried over into superman carried over into wonder woman into green arrow into green lantern there was a unified narrative that these were singular titles but it was part of a larger universe and uh, I felt like a participant, a kind of co-author in the way that I would puzzle all these things together. Um, but now, you know, I'm writing them, which I know it sounds a bit corny, but childhood dream come true, certainly. Uh, I've been writing comics since 2014, and I had a rather auspicious debut. I kicked down the door with Batman, uh, you know, but there's a story of failure that came before that that I won't dig too deep into right now, but let's just say I, I submitted to DC 47 pitches before I finally broke in. Wow. So I had this auspicious debut with Batman. I had a two issue arc that I wrote. Uh, and that two issue arc, by the way, as a sidebar was also a, initially a failed screenplay that I refabricated, pulled the hero out, put Bruce Wayne in. But anyways, I broke in with Batman. I knew a lot of eyeballs would be on those issues. So I put everything I had into them and Thankfully, I did a good enough job that soon thereafter, 
they called me up and said, hey, are you interested in Green Arrow? And after that, they said, hey, are you interested in Teen Titans? And so I wrote for DC for several years before j taking the leap over to Marvel. I've been writing Wolverine now for a good five years, if you include the audio dramas. Uh, and I'm also writing X-Force, which is the Black Ops team for the X-Men. And uh, Ghost Rider now. If you're not familiar with Ghost Rider, you know, he's the guy with the flaming skull and the motorcycle. You already revealed yourself not to be a nerd, not to be a, a reader of comics. So I thought I might have to give you the cliff notes of this. No, no, I know. I definitely know enough about them. Um, and I love my superhero movies. Um, so have, have, is the comic world following the same trajectory since superhero movies have gone crazy? Presumably... The comics that accompany them, well, not accompany them, but the comics that are certainly linked to that same universe. Is that also having a renaissance? Well, the comics are the bedrock of the movies. These movies are based on comics that are already in existence. And I wish that I could say that there's been a huge surge in sales following the rise of the MCU. Uh, there's, there's some trigger moments. You know, when people want to learn more about Thanos, for instance, they might pick up the Infinity Gauntlet. Or when a new Batman movie comes out, like the latest one, The Batman, you know, that had uh, some influence uh, from some other titles, including Batman Year One and The Long Halloween. And you'll see a surge in those sales. But when it comes to the monthly comics, uh, which are in a way... Uh, review of what might appear in five years or in 10 years on the screen, you know, when it comes to the monthly comics that are hitting a local comic shop, I'd say that, you know, it, it's a very popular niche market. You don't necessarily see, you know, uh, anywhere near the traffic at a theater that you do at a comic book shop. But there, there are some very, very loyal and enthusiastic nerds out there of which I, you know, I'm a member of that legion. So when you're watching the Marvel movies, I guess there's going to be two parts to the question. The first one will be, do you enjoy them? And the second part will be, are you the person in the audience who nudges your friend and says, oh, come on, you know, this person would never do X, Y, and Z because, you know, their character says this about them or that it should be played by this character or actually, you know, the the thing on their lapel is upside down and should be green. <laughs> Uh, you know, I would. I guess you could never say. Well, Groot would never say that uh, because, <laughs> <laughs> because he says one thing. I am Groot, uh, but and I, I'm not the kind of nerd who might critique the costume, you know, or or characterization uh, uh, of something I see on the screen. I would say that I have knowledge maybe than most, but I also, even though I'm neck deep in the Marvel universe. I still don't know as much as some of those like Wikipedia that exist. You know, some people just have like an encyclopedic knowledge yeah. of, of Marvel history. I have not read every Marvel comic. You know, I was sort of more singular in my focus where I'd be like, I love Wolverine or the Punisher. And I'd read everything about those characters um, as opposed to necessarily like having the expansive view of everything in part because I moved around constantly and I lived in rural areas. So sometimes the stuff I was pulling off the spinner rack, I only came to realize this later was actually old, five years old. 
or I could have been buying it from a garage sale. So I actually have no idea what the proper continuity is of the Marvel Universe because I was so sporadic in the way that I consumed it. Uh, But do I love the movies? I love some of the movies. Um, You know, like I love, I love Logan, you know, that that's just a brutal poetic film. I love the, the first X-Men film. I love, you know, the dark Knights. I love, like, I have like a selective love for comic book movies and there's others, you know, not to, I won't, I won't smear any, but there are others that maybe don't grip me as fully. Yeah. That seem, that seem maybe a little silly. So uh, this is a, only cause you're an expert on this. So m- Marvel have done marvelous things. Um, and even though there's been a little bit of criticism of some of the new TV shows, but just the, the broadly people love everything that Marvel seem to do. DC have been panned for lots of things. Um, even though, you know, they're now producing about the same number of movies and TV shows and it just doesn't have the sort of same following, even though they've got some pretty cool superheroes that live in their world as well. What, do you think it's a, it's become like a, a superhero snobbery thing or genuinely there's a difference in quality between the two? You know, why are DC struggling to do what Marvel have done? If that's a fair characterization. Well, I don't know that you can hold anybody up to Marvel's standard because nothing like that's ever been done. Uh, and that can even extend to the comics. I'm a total DC fan. But right, Marvel is the longest running storyline in history. If you, if you look at uh, all of the Marvels, the Douglas Volk uh, book that came out recently, he committed himself to reading every single Marvel comic uh, when writing this book. And, and he details the history, the colorful history behind you know, the creation of all these characters and the people who worked in the Marvel bullpen. And, 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 and so, but if you extend that to the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well, right? Like, nothing like this has ever been done. The way that, you know, this, this, this tapestry of stories comes together, it's really extraordinary. Um, so I, I think we just have to like appreciate the fact that this is a really unique experience. And eventually, yes, the superhero movie is going to go the way of the, of the Western. You know, and it's not going to be the dominant golden form that it is right now. Uh, but I think that, you know, DC still has some pretty exceptional stuff. I mean, those Nolan Batman movies are uh, gold standard to me. Um, or, you know, the Tim Burton Batman movie. Mm. That was actually like, you know, that's part of my childhood DNA right there. Um, and and I think gave rise to the imagination that I have right now in many ways uh you know if if you look at solid entries that have come out lately you know wonder woman i thought wonder woman the first one was like that that really punched you in the solar plexus um and so i think that there's more like individual titles in dc that give get the thumbs up for me as opposed to like the the comprehensive narrative yeah, no, I agree with that. I, it's a bit like, or I Suicide the, Squad, you know, James Gunn's Suicide Squad. Yeah, I, uh, I loved the first Wonder Woman, and I liked both of the Suicide Squad, second one more. Um, I must admit, I, I I watched Black Adam the other night and fell asleep, but I had had a couple of glasses of whiskey, um, and I'd like <laughs> to try and watch it, it sober. 
um, and see what it's like. Because it, the last 20 minutes when I woke up were pretty good, but I missed about an hour and a half. Um, what I think we're, we're all dealing with is kind of like a we're still trying to get over Endgame. Because Endgame yeah. was, you know, that was so exceptional in the way that all of these dominoes were crashing together to give rise to that moment. You know, the momentum was transferring forward to that, you know, calamity that was Infinity War and Endgame. And so, you know, we're all waiting for that that momentum to to rise up again. And it, it hasn't, you know, on the DC side or the Marvel side, it's not quite there yet. No, I think that's right. So how many comics do you own? Do I own? I'm not really a collector. Oh. Uh, I mean, I used to be as a kid because, you know, I'd be schlepping this library with me everywhere we moved. I was in eight different schools as a kid and uh, lots of different houses. So, like, my books were sort of, whether comic books or novels, you know, that's sort of, that was the company that I that I kept. Those are the, the friends that endured. Uh, but, you know, as a grumpy old man, uh, if I'm buying comics, I tend to purchase trade volumes uh, because I don't want to go in month after month to grab stuff. I like to sort of enjoy five or ten issues all at once as collected in a trade or hardback. And I have quite a few of those. I have, you know, hundreds of, of you know, uh, you could call them graphic novels or you could call them trade editions of comics. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about your other writing because obviously, I mean, the comics is a part of it, but you have many strings to your writing bow. So there's TV, there's novels, uh, podcasts. So um, tell me about the other genres you write in and which is your favorite? Well, let's not forget the erotic haiku. <laughs> you weren't sure for a second whether I was sure. Um, <laughs> Nowadays, anything's possible. Uh, you know, I think of myself principally as a novelist. And and that's usually when I where I begin my day, is with the, the heavy lifting of novel writing. Uh, you know, it requires the most effort at the bench press, I guess you could say. Um, but... One of the things that I realized during the pandemic, especially, it was already starting to set in before that. But one of the things that I really started to enjoy about comics and enjoy about screenwriting was that, you know, I was, it's a little bit lonely writing novels. And I need that loneliness in my life. Uh, I like that solitude, but it's a very hermetic, marathonic experience, you know, that it might take you years to write a novel. Whereas comics, screenwriting tends to be more of a sprint. And, you know, when you get together with an artist on a comic or when you get together with a really smart producer or director, you know, you're strenuously trying to tell the best story possible, all of you. And, and that additive quality, you know, there's definitely such a thing as too many cooks in the kitchen, but if you just find that right creative mix, you can feel really dynamic. Um, now, novels, right? They're a little scary when you're writing them, in part because what are the limitations? What are the fences? What are the constraints? You know, if I look at a comic, I know that it's 20 pages, not 22, not 18. It's 20 pages. I know that there are five to seven scenes. I know that there's an A plot, a B plot, a C plot, a D plot. I know the B plot of one issue becomes the A plot of the next issue and the C plot of the B plot. 
I know there'll be a splash page. In other words, a page that is made up of one image. There'll be a splash page in the first five pages. There'll be a splash page probably in the last page when you have like some symphonic cliffhanger that excites the nerds so much that they return to the shop a month later. Right? I know these things. And these constraints, in a way, are inspiring. He's a poet I really admire. And he talks about the difference between free verse poetry and form poetry. Form poetry like a sonnet or a sestina of Villanelle. And he says, you know, it's cool if you can break dance. But it's badass if you can break dance in a straight jacket. And comics writing or film writing or TV writing is like breakdancing in a straight jacket. Right? But novels could just be 900 pages. Or what about a tight 200? Mm. Am I going to have an ensemble cast with multiple points of view? Or am I going to have a first person limited track? Is my character going to be really unreliable so that we can't quite trust what he's telling us? And that dramatic irony is part of the narrative. And, 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 right? There's just like a limitless, boundless questions before you. And one of the things that I found about novel writing that's helped me in that regard is I spent a lot of time planning. Uh, because if I have, and I don't know that I need this necessarily anymore. I feel like I need it the same way that Dumbo needed his magic feather mm. to fly. He didn't actually need the feather, right? Yeah. But it felt it felt good to have it gripped in the trunk. In that same way, I have these big scrolls of paper that hang in a room just to my left here. The previous owner of this house was a hobby photographer, and this closet was their dark room. And so in the dark room, every morning, you know, I consider it sort of like my nightmare factory. It's got a red light. You know, and I have up on the wall, it sort of looks like a conspiracy theorist or serial killer's den. <laughs> <laughs> Bits of yarn going back and forth across the wall and, you know, story charts and scenes and everything else. And so what I do is sometimes I spend a year to two years thinking about a novel before I ever even put my fingers on the keyboard. Wow. So that just gives you sort of like a, a synthesized version of, of the way I'm thinking about different forms of storytelling. Extraordinary. So with that lack of structure, yeah, I've always, you know, I've got a lot of my friends are writers of varying types um, in LA. Um, but how do you sort of structure your, your time? Because as you say, with a novel, it could take a very long time to write, but there's bills to pay. So is it like the, you know, the comics pay for the groceries and the novels pay for the house? I, this is a really debaggy thing to say, but in a way, there's a comparison to an investment portfolio, right? Or or a gambler. You might have your high risk bet, and then you have your low risk bets, right? Yeah. And you have your long term investments and your short term investments. So, to, with comics, I know that I am writing forty five comics for Marvel in a year you know it's in my contract so i am guaranteed that money plus the royalties that i might make over issue sales right so i know there's my that's equivalent of maybe having a salaried job in a way you know um, i used to be a professor in a former life i knew exactly how much i was going to make a year maybe i could make more if i took on summer classes or whatever else yeah um 
but then with the novels, right, I gamble. Because what I usually do is I write about 70 pages of the novel along with the pitch. I try to sell that. Or with a TV show or a movie. It's the same sort of deal where it's like sometimes you're writing a spec script. You have no clue whether this is going to work out. You know, and but you have to take those swings. You know, you have to live daringly. Absolutely. If, uh, and, and, and so what usually happens is I get a lot of wreckage. I get a lot of failure that sort of like, you know, falls by the wayside. But what I tend to do is like, okay, the big swing didn't work out. I'm going to pick it up again and salvage it in some way. Yeah. Maybe I salvage it by like wrenching it into a comic that I'm writing. Or maybe it takes another life entirely as a novel, but I change the genre of it. If it was originally a TV pitch or, 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 you know, nothing wasted in that way. So this is, I mean, obviously you're on the podcast because you're interesting enough to be on the podcast. Um, in terms of sort of how people view this career you've chosen. So obviously, you know, your close friends and family know exactly what you do. But when you, when you're sort of bumping into casual acquaintances, um, you know, you're on an aeroplane and the person next to you starts talking to you or you're, you know, you're meeting somebody new for the first time and they ask you what you do and you explain. What sort of range of reactions do you get from people outside the, you know, the industry to the fact that you work in, in comics? Are people fascinated like I am or are they, do they not really understand that it's a real job because they don't know that people still use comics? Like that? How does that all play out? It plays out in different ways. I mean, um, my in-laws, used to refer to me as a teacher uh you know when i was teaching at teaching at colleges and and uh and publishing books on the side uh about 10 years ago the writing took over and i went full-time at the keyboard and i think they might still call me a teacher (laughs) that says a lot (laughs) but yeah i mean there's there's some who view it as maybe more of a curiosity a a hobby what else do you do sort of thing uh, but once they learn that you're for someplace like Marvel or Esquire, uh, you know, that's a, you know, the, they can recognize the brand more and, and understand what you're doing as opposed to, you know, I write novels, you know, that, yeah, presumably that seems once, like a more antiquated uh, title. Indeed. Presumably once you drop the M word, as it were, um, and you say Marvel, presumably people are like, oh, yes, I, I've watched Endgame, so I know what you do for a living now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sometimes I'll be on an airplane, which I, I love air travel in part because, you know, there's no internet. I mean, there is now, but but I pretend that there isn't. And so I always am, you know, working my ass off, uh, you know, with this laptop perched awkwardly uh, before me. And so, you know, oftentimes I'll get so the person next to me will eventually lean over and be like, Dude, do you write Wolverine? <laughs> you know, because they're they're looking at what I'm doing. And I might be, you know, actually writing a script or I might be uh, you know, proofreading uh or approving concept art or whatever. But yeah, I, I'm probably <laughs> you know, breaking some NBA rules uh by even <laughs> by even cracking that stuff open on a play. That's amazing. So uh, although, you know, we, I pride myself on this being the whiskey podcast that's not about whiskey. I feel like, uh, but if I've got you on here and you both love comics and you love whiskey, let's, I don't know how this is going to work, but let's try this. So yeah, yeah. which, 
superhero is most likely to drink whiskey will be my oh. question. Well, I mean, there's not even hesitation. Like Wolverine, yeah, you know, is a walking whiskey barrel. Uh, but the thing about Wolverine is he likes rot gut whiskey. You know, yes. he wants the bot. He wants the bottom rail. He so he's drinking. He's drinking bullets. Oh no no no! no Keep really. going down. Oh, I see. <laughs> can you go lower? Yes, I suppose you can. Oh sure. I mean, I don't know. Hold, like, let's keep going down the, the rail here. What do you What do you got? I mean, Jack Daniels, Jim Beam is just like Coca Cola, right? But I'm talking about even you know. I'm talking homemade, about you. Homemade yeah, yeah. bourbon. It might as well be moonshine. Yeah. Okay. I mean, old, old granddad. I, I like. I like all. There's not really a whiskey I don't like. It's kind of like pizza in that way. Yeah. Um, but but old old granddad's a little crustier, right? It's a little bit rough around the edges. Yeah. Something like that is is what you'll find in Wolverine. He'll, he would never drink scotch unless he had to. No. So who 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 else drinks? Who else would drink? I suppose Tony Stark would drink expensive single malt, presumably. He's sober right now. Oh yes. Uh, if you're a, if you're a comics reader. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, he would absolutely be, you know, doing the that. I think that he probably would be doing it more out of uh, less out of a refined taste and more out of a label, okay. you know. So, so what a you know a Walker Blue or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Who else? Uh, let's see. I mean, I could see Magneto. Oh, yeah. Drinking something, something old, you know, old world Scotland. Yeah. Um, Magneto coming from Europe originally. Yes. Is he from Germany? Is that right? Yeah, he was, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of different origin stories, but, but he was, you know, headed into the camps in the, yeah. in the movie famously yes. when, yes. you know, his powers, you know, oh, take yes, out right. the Nazis all around him, twist yeah, up yeah. the fences. Um, what about any of the female superheroes, um, of which there are an increasing number? At least, well, Jean, Jean Grey, Jean Grey, and, and Wolverine are a thing. And, yes, uh, you know, if your if your lips are locked with with a beastly figure like Wolverine, you're getting at least a second hand high. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so she she's got to be a fan. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's right. Um, I think. I'm trying to think how much further we can take the uh, superheroes and whiskey thing. I'm not sure who else uh, would. Aquaman, Aquaman probably drinks like Captain Morgan or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's right. Aquaman's uh, always easy to make fun of. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a little harder since Jason Momoa took the role, but pre, prior, prior to that, Aquaman was always kind of a, you know, a punchline. Yeah. She hold drunk quite a lot. Um, but I don't remember her drinking whiskey, at least in the TV. I think she show. does. I think she does drink whiskey, but there's a lot of wine in that show. There's a lot of wine in that show. Yeah. Um, so, uh, where should we go with this thing? So, just in terms of where you are with all of this stuff, is what what is the dream assignment for you? Is it moving from the sort of Marvel? comics and podcast side to writing one of the screenplays for one of the new TV series? Is it 
a feature film either in Marvel or in the DC world? Like what, if you could have a dream job, which is potentially attainable given the work you've, your body of work so far, what, what does that look like for you? So I mentioned before growing up on comics, but I also grew up on genre more generally. You know, I grew up on spy thrillers. I grew up on horror novels. I grew up on fantasy uh, and D&D. I grew up on science fiction. And when I first stepped into a creative writing classroom, I was drawing upon that well of water. You know, almost every night as a kid growing up, it sounds romantic to say, but when we weren't watching, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation or Kung Fu The Legend Continues, we were reading. You know, my mom was reading a Western. My dad was reading a science fiction novel. I was reading a Stephen King novel, probably. My sister, the exile of the family, was reading, you know, a book on physics. But I was just consuming story constantly. And when I walked into my first creative writing classroom, I was ready to write about dragons, about vampires, robots with laser eyes, about wolf. Variants with woolly underpants, and soon thereafter, I discovered that, that was going to become that was going to be impossible, because as the professor went through the syllabus, you know, he he, he finalized the discussion by saying no genre. You know, genre was a dirty word, plot was a dirty word, and so for the next four or five years, all I did was read and write literary fiction, and I fell in love with. Everyone from Alice Monroe to Raymond Carver to James Baldwin, writers I'd never encountered before then. But I never fell out of love with genre. And I guess I came to that point where I was most interested in those who were sort of neither fish nor fowl. People who were both literary and genre, like Cormac McCarthy or Margaret Atwood or Susanna Clark or Octavia Butler or, or, or. And so tried to sort of toe that line where what I'm writing is hopefully, you know, artfully substantial, but also compulsively readable. Because as much as I learned about the craft, I never wanted to forget about that kid who was turning pages in his living room so swiftly they made a breeze on his face. I never wanted to forget, no matter how three-dimensional my characters were, no matter how much my metaphors or glowed or my themes were subterranean, I never wanted to forget about the fact that genre fiction always is remembering that the most important question is what happens next, right? And so in writing across these different mediums, I feel like that and have attained that in a way so that every day when I sit down at the keyboard, I'm grateful for what I'm doing. But when it comes to like, what's next, everything has been incremental in my career. You know, I wrote short stories first for journals that nobody read. Then for magazines like GQ and Esquire, where I became a contributing editor. Then I started to publish novels. Then I started to publish comics. Then I started to, you know, work in audio dramas. Then I started to get work in TV and in film. And so for me, continuing on that track and and letting the TV and the film side of things take over more and more while still writing novels, I still want that to be a part of my life. Um, and... And maybe, you know, eventually I'd like to direct at least one thing. I think I'd be disappointed in myself if I didn't direct at least one horror film. Um, but but for me, you know, film is film is probably it. Film is the peak. You know, when I think about some of my favorite stories, that's what 
That's where they are. So, so, on, so, yeah. so answer, answer the question. Yeah. What, what's the dream project? The dream project is a horror movie that I write and direct. There you go. Brilliant. No, no, sorry. I wasn't being rude. It was a great answer, but I wanted, I needed the crescendo as well. But that's, that's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. That's the summit. Very good. Then I can, then I can grab my, you know, as my heart explodes in like a geyser of, of gravy on the red carpet, I can, I can die happy. <laughs> um, I should say, I should say gravy and whiskey. Gravy and whiskey, indeed. Um, <laughs> So, unfortunately, we are at the wrong end of the podcast, so we've only got one question left. Uh, yeah. And that question on this podcast is, if you, could, if you could drink any whiskey with anyone, who would it be, what would it be, and where would it be? Oh, shoot. Yeah. You know, and, and the only one is dead is or a- alive, so it you know, you, gives you a lot of latitude. I mean- when it comes to the company I, I like to keep, I mean, Stephen King is my immediate answer, but Stephen King is sober. And so he would be a very poor choice for this. Indeed. <laughs> um, you know, Nick Offerman would be a great choice in yeah. that he, you know, knows his scotch, uh, you know, better than anybody else. And I'm sure he could pop a, a bottle out of his basement that would that would impress. And we could, you know, stand before a roaring fire in the earth and wax poetic for some time. So I think he'd be a he'd be a good uh, whiskey fellow, certainly. Okay, so so the who is is going to be? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the pure you know the pure answer and like somebody who can actually really appreciate what we're drinking. I'm okay. I'm using that as sort of a constraint, right? That's my straight yeah. jacket. That's good. That's good. So so Offerman is sort of the king in that regard. Okay, so what would the whiskey be, and where would it be? Ah, uh, you know, uh, anything out of Campbelltown, anything out of Isla, anything that had some heat to it. Uh, I don't know, a Ben Nevis, it, if it's out of Campbelltown, if it's, uh, you know, Sky, you know, Lagavulin and, and Lefroig are my favorites. So I'm probably going to go in that direction. Um, okay. And did you say where? Yeah. yeah I mean, it to be in like some stone walled, thatch roofed uh you know 14th century structure uh on the edge of a of a stormy sea you know with the fire roaring and, and the waves pounding outside and the wind howling in the eaves yeah that's it i'm there already imaginatively fantastic very good this has been excellent you clearly are a storyteller in every answer um benjamin percy thank you very much for being part of my podcast. I found this fascinating. Um, and uh, good luck with your future endeavors, which hopefully will include writing and directing uh, and having Thanks me up, as an extra up. in a horror film. Yes. Are you are you ready to die in a messy way? Whatever it takes. <laughs> You're hired. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. All right. Thank you. Mm, I love scotch. Scotch. And don't forget to not just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Slonchevar. <laughs>